I'm Jonathan Polevsky, and it's my pleasure to interview Manuel Barueco for these podcasts. Why do you want to do podcasts? Why do I? Yeah. <laughs> why Why are you interested in doing podcasts? Why is Manuel Barueco interested in doing podcasts? What appeals to you about this? I think part of the reason is I see kind of a state of confusion in the guitar world. And I was hoping that it would be a positive voice that could offer maybe some guidance to some people, especially, I think, to the young people. There's an awful lot of confusion out there. Confusion it's, about what? For example, if you look at the guitar many years ago, there seemed to be like a kingdom or something, Segovia's mm -hmm. kingdom, you know, mm -hmm. and there was this force and everything sort of fell under that, and, and that created this control under his dictatorship. Mm -hmm. now, it's kind of like the Cold War. You know, you had the Soviets and you have the Americans, and everybody mm -hmm. knew where they stood. Yeah. And now we have chaos. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I said I was going to keep it positive, you know. But you <laughs> chaos is good. Well, well, yeah. but but you could also say the guitar is played better than it's ever been played yeah. in its thousand-year history. However old the guitar is, it has never been played better than today. That's right. Well, for example, I'll give you another example, like the ratings, like Robert Parker, for example, and the ratings that he gives to wines, and that can help a lot of people like me to guide me through this whole maze of wines. But when it comes to the guitar, and not only the guitar, but with the guitar is that you have this whole jungle out there of, of zillions of people making recordings, and the people who have a casual interest in the guitar who want to know what's good and what isn't, they don't have a way to find out really where they should go. And of course, every CD claims that the player is the best one in the world. So which one really is it? I was hoping, for example, with the podcast sometimes to be able to uh, to talk about playing, to maybe show some good recordings of some young players, you know, or... Establish some standards as to what good playing is all about. Well, the thing is, where I had to be careful is being that I'm a player myself, I had to be careful that, that this does not come through as being self-serving. And that's the tricky part. That's why I thought perhaps it might be better to just keep it on the positive and, mm -hmm. and maybe play things that are good. Because, for example, like the program that you, that you do where you have people listening and making commentaries, I mean, I think that's great, but I don't know that I can be part of that, especially given that I know most of the players out there, and it would be extremely difficult. My, if I don't know who it is, but I'll tell you to this, be honest. But I'll tell you, when we do this program... We can program, do some blind tastings, you know, like you can play something for me and I can tell you. But, but I mean, when we do this, the slant, and it's a program called Face the Music where we review music um, and people don't know who they're listening to. Sometimes they don't know mm -hmm. what they're listening to. The most interesting comments arise not out of, is it good, is it bad, is it out of tune, is it in tune, but more does it succeed in achieving the goals that it sets out to achieve, you know? Mm -hmm. And in many ways, the people who are the best guests are the people who who are positive about mm -hmm. what they're listening to, you know? And I'm not saying it's Pollyanna, because it can get pretty rough sometimes if something's bad, but the people who I want to have on are people who can find what's, what's good in recordings. Sometimes there's nothing good in recordings, but the people who are most interesting and the people who I have back often are people who find what's interesting to, you know, in various people's performances. I think that might be helpful for some people that are trying to, to find out about the guitar. I have a friend that asked me that question, and I forget exactly the words that he used, but it was something like, tell me, why should I listen to the guitar? Mm. Tell me, why should I be hooked on music? And I thought it was a great question to talk about the guitar, you know, guidance. Maybe maybe sometimes people could ask some questions. I don't know. I personally have a million questions. Okay. Let's like, like for shoot. example, and things that, that you wouldn't put on the radio, you know, that that I think are sort of interesting to ask somebody who spent a life in music. For example, do you play every day? Play? Yeah. It depends on what I need to do. I mean, I am a professional player. If I go through a period like I'm going right now, 
you know, that I have a lot of work to do, a lot of music to work on. I look so much forward to times when I don't have to play the guitar. I cannot tell you. If you told me I could have a week without a guitar in somewhere in Hawaii or something, that sounds like heaven to me. And a couple of bottles of wine. And a, well, more than a couple of bottles. More than a couple, yeah. Now, having said that, what is also true is that probably after a couple of days, my fingers would probably begin to itch a little bit. But the, uh, generally, I, it could be said that, yeah, just about every day. Which I don't think is a good thing, by the way, either. I think it's also important sometimes to have some time away from it, even if, if it's one day a week. I mean, I often tell my students, you know, that to be an adult is sort of having to do the things you don't want to do. And it's kind of like that. For me, my guitar, is, it's my work. It's something it's serious. It's not whether I feel like it or not. I mean, I, I do it. And, and I, you know, and I try to do it the best that I can, you know. Do you ever pick it up for fun, just completely? Extremely rarely. Mm -hmm. First of all, I have a low level of endurance, you know, with my hands. I cannot play so much for mm -hmm. so many hours. I usually have a lot of work to do. And I usually just save my energies for the work that I have to do. Now, would I love to do that? Yes, I would. And I'm hoping in the future to have more free time. For me, it's never been an ideal to have a career where one plays 300 concerts a year. To me, that sounds like slavery. To me, the, the, How many the, do you do a year? Right now, probably, uh, I don't even know, maybe about 40 or so. Mm -hmm. About 40. And it would be great if it was half of that. Chopin did about 33 in his whole life. His whole life? 35. I think 35 concerts his whole his life. His whole life? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was not an accident. He he gave up the concert life. Mm. And he did about 30, 35 concerts, uh, a number of them at the beginning of his career, and the rest a few solo concerts every year. And then he died, of course, which helped keep the number down. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're playing 40 concerts a year. And, and this is a sensitive discussion. Some go great. Some go good. Right. Some go not so right. good. And we've talked about this a little bit. Your students are going to have also great, good, and not-so-good days. Right. The great days, you don't need to tell them anything. And the good days, you know, maybe you tell them a few things. What do you tell your students when they have, for whatever reason, uh, you know, not even so much nerves, but just sometimes you just have a bad day? What do you tell your students? Well, in a situation like that, I mean, you have to accept it. You have to be gracious. You have to bow to your, to your audience, be graceful afterwards, go home, and hopefully somebody will try to stop you from committing suicide, you know? <laughs> the only thing you can do, if it didn't go well because of something that one did wrong, is try to understand what that was and try to, to not to make the same mistake again the, the, the following times. It's not totally unpredictable. I mean, I have noticed that the better prepared I am, the usually the, the better I play, you know? But sometimes, you know, for example, there was a concert, uh, the, the last time I played in Baltimore, so I, I don't think I had ever worked so hard for a concert. And I think it was one of the worst I've played in, you know, in the last two, 15 years, you know. It's so frustrating. So there's a certain element that you cannot control. But I'm going to tell you, I, I've yeah. thought about this. I've th I thought about this a lot, actually. Um, and having been at that concert, and I'll tell you the deal. I mean, when I went to conservatory, it was like, well, you're always going to have your best stuff or you're going to be garbage. And the truth is that oh, life is that yeah. sometimes you don't have your best stuff, but you still got to play the concert. And you have to find something inside you which is going to, you know... I see what you mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's the more intuitive players that will have the bigger you know, ups and downs. I tell the students, if they go only by the way the things feel to them, for example, with their hands and so on, that if they happen to have a bad day or they happen to be very nervous and the feeling goes, 
there goes the concert. With mm. But it's got to be something that still holds it together for you, and I think that is the, the information and, and your brain. And in that sense, I believe that that is the one that can keep things from not going below a certain level. What I basically tell them is that the control, control basically is this. If you have the information of what you need to do, and if you have the fingers that, that follow your commands, then you will have control. Now, if a player is a player that is more brainy, that plays more from his or her head, from the information in her head, sending commands to the finger, whether one is nervous or not, that's not going to have that much of an influence in what happens. On the other hand, if, if you're somebody who just plays by the repetition and it relies more, let's say, on the motor memory, the muscle memory, than the conscious memory, if the feelings happen not to be there, you could be in for a long evening. Yeah. Do you visualize? I don't do it consistently. I mean, mm -hmm. I think when it comes to that, there's a line that I uh, I read once in a piano book that was very simple and I love it, which is basically don't play any faster than you can think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's it. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that, that that's going to give the best performance because a performance that is controlled that carefully and it's probably not going to be brilliant. The brilliance probably comes when everything just happens to be working together. Everything just happens to be flowing together. And your body and your psyche and everything just, just gives 100%. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Now, for example, what I tell the students when it comes to that, especially when I was younger, it never failed that if I was playing a good concert, and I would think, you know, damn, you know, I'm playing a good concert, I haven't missed an old, you know, and then bingo, there you go. Oh, yeah, no. I know that one. I think the reason is because the state of mind that was allowing you to play the way in which you were was interrupted. And that created internal friction that caused for the problem to happen. So I think if I'm playing a concert and things are going really well on that level and I start having any kinds of thoughts, I like, it's like, no, no, don't think. Don't even think about it. Just get back into the music, keep going, don't question anything, let it happen. You mentioned that you like to read music and guitarists are, maybe they have become great readers since I stopped studying actively, but guitarists are almost to a person, terrible readers. Yeah. Um... Why is that, and how can they get better? I think probably the reason why we're not better, that the simple reason is because we don't. We don't read that much. I mean, some people are very good, by the way. I know a couple of players out there that you would think that... Some, that, some jazz guys, I think, are well, incredible. Well, I mean, in the, yeah. in the classical. I mean, yeah, I've heard okay. somebody like Eduardo Fernandez, I mean, mm -hmm. and he'll read something like... Like he played a piece of his life, wow. or... or uh, I remember Sergio Abreu from the Abreu Brothers also. It was just, I mean, I read with these people and it's just mind-boggling how well they read. To be fair to us, not only because we don't do it that often, but it's also it's a hard instrument to, to read. It's not easy. I think mostly it's just the number one reason is just because we don't. We spend lots of time trying to learn a piece and, and, and we don't read enough. I, I've done a lot of work with Aldi Miola and I remember how he told me that he just loved to read music. I love to read music. If you ask me what I would enjoy, I love to have the guitar and just read new stuff or try to compose or try to arrange something. It's whatever comes to my head. That I love. Am I going to sit down and perform, play the concerto that I played you know, three million times in my life? Of course not. Also, I rested, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you like cross-genre uh, collaborations? I do. I do think that maybe in some ways variety is a spice of life. And I think to be able to, to sort of parachute in somebody else's world and come out with new energies and new knowledge of things, I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. 
And every time that, that I've done it, you know, I feel like that I've learned and that my horizons have been expanded. Even, for example, when I recorded some time ago and I decided to put in a couple of Paul Simon songs, I started listening to a lot of Paul Simon. And then I saw the development of Paul Simon as a composer. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, that was not so obvious because before that, I mean, I, I was coming from that kind of classical background that sort of looked down on anything that wasn't classical, you know. And then I just had developed a lot of respect for all other kinds of music as well. Now, having said that, there's a difference between one enjoying doing something like this and what one does professionally. And I think one sometimes needs to be very careful where one draws a line. The way that I see it, I'm a classical player. That's what I know. And that entails clarity of rhythm of sound and this and the other. That's what I know how to do. So I only, let's say, cross over to things that I believe can sustain this kind of treatment. If I can give you an example, sometimes you may see an opera person singing some pop songs, and sometimes they can seem kind of ridiculous. If it is not the kind of song that can really sustain that kind, that kind of thing. And that's what I look for. First of all, I have to like it. I have to like the music. And if it's music that I love and I feel I can play this and I feel it and I can bring something to the music, then, then you know, then I, I may do it. I think that's why I like um, opera singers singing some jazz standards, if they know how to sing jazz, really works well. Opera singers singing some sort of cheap pop tunes doesn't always work well. And it, and you know well, what? It else? also depends on. on it's on also the, style. It's a yeah. Lot, it, so it's much also. I mean, there are a lot of opera singers, and they're not all the same. You know, right. and some may have a better feel, feeling than others. I mean, sometimes when, when also in teaching, you know, you hear some often say, you know, and the violin is on this way. Well, somebody's playing the violin. Mm -hmm. And all violinists are the same. And I think it's the same here. You may, you may have an opera singer that has a great feeling for pop music and some that just don't. Are there people who you're dying to work with at this time? I love Chick Corea. I love his music. You've played some of his music, right? Yeah, uh, I have. Arrangements, yeah. I have. Yeah, I have. The guitar forces us you know, to, to look and, and to find things. And... Also, what I think is so great about it, it is a popular instrument. It's an erudite instrument. It's a jazz instrument. It's a blues instrument. I mean, there isn't a single genre of music it doesn't touch. There's just so many different things you can do. Yeah, it's and, a beautiful you know, instrument. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So 15 minutes later, how do you feel about podcasts? Uh, I think they're great. <laughs> and my spies tell me you have an iPod, but you've never used it. And how do you know that? <laughs> Actually, I do. I have an iPod that was given to me about two, three years ago. You know, maybe what the reason might be that I never listened to it, because somebody programmed all my recordings into it. Uh -huh. Maybe because of that reason, <laughs> I swear to God, I haven't used it one time yet. I'll tell you one thing about podcasts, and one reason to do this is that it gives a chance for people to really hear candid conversations, mm -hmm. which are produced to some degree, but really unproduced to a great degree, and it gives people a chance to spend a, a little bit of time with you in a very candid and, uh, and personal way, and I think that is the value of this 15-minute first iPod broadcast, which I'm sure you will never hear. <laughs> <laughs>